1: All right, once again, I welcome you to the show. A special shout-out to those of you joining us for the first time. I don't want to sound self-serving when I say this, but I am watching, I'm watching the numbers of our listeners grow. And I can only guess that it's not because I'm such an awesome person with a golden voice and a magnetic personality, but it's because you are actively looking for a message that offers some kind of um, direction, some kind of encouragement, some kind of perspective that's, that's other than you must hate, you must fear, you must you must be angry. Well, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Our unofficial motto is revel in wrong think. Uh, you know, that was tongue-in-cheek when, when it was first uh, conceived. Now, uh, the way things seem to be going, uh, it, it may be more true than, than I actually intended. I don't know. There's some irony at work here, and, and and maybe fate has a sense of humor. By the way, we have a couple of wonderful sponsors that I'd like to acknowledge as well. Alta Bank. If you're looking for mortgage services, and especially within my home state of Utah, talk to my friend John Staples at Alta Bank. He is the guy who can help you make those dreams come true. Whether it's a refinance, whether it's a new home loan, you talk to John at Alta Bank. He'll take care of you. Also, Landmark Risk Management and Insurance. I know, insurance is one of those things that a lot of us sit back and just think, Ugh. but uh, when you have it, when you need it, it's the best thing ever. And this is especially true with commercial insurance. My friend Steve Burgess can help you there, especially walking you through, knowing that you have all the right coverage. That's probably the biggest question a lot of uh, business owners have is, is it all co- is everything covered that needs to be covered? Well, click on the link that you'll find at the bottom of the show notes at the com. That's Landmark, Risk Management, and Insurance. Click on the link. That'll put you in touch with them. And they'll be happy to walk you through what you need to know and can help you if there's places that you need shoring up. All right. That said, where do we begin today? I think a lot of us recognize right now something is really, really wrong. And, and in fact, uh, the conversation that I have had with more people in the last few days has centered around the question, but, but what can we do about it? What can I do? And I wish that there was some easy, simple answer that just, you know, well, this covers it all and, you know, do this and uh, magically everything is going to be great. No, it took us a long time to get here. And, And I'm not trying to be fatalistic when I point this out. It has taken generations for us to dig ourselves into the pit that we're just noticing around us. And for a lot of people, this is a very unpleasant realization that, oh, everything is not just going well. Now, there are some very good tools that we need. And one of the biggest tools we need is to break out of the mindset of, I have to follow. Someone needs to tell me what to do. Why is it so hard? Well, okay, I have a theory. And it's just a theory, okay? It's not like I went and proved this and scientifically it's backed up and everybody agrees there's consensus, you know. But the theory is we start being trained at a very, very young age to look to someone in authority, someone with status, to lead us in the right direction. We're trained to be followers. And, and that's, I'm not saying that's a terrible thing. Sometimes people need leadership. I need leadership. You need leadership in, in certain situations. But there are a lot of places where we really need to have some confidence in ourselves and what we can sort out and how we can, can plan our own path. That's really the, the thing that we need to work on is, is trusting ourselves Becoming Effective Leaders Rather Than Frightened Followers. Now, Alan Stevo has a remarkable column on uh, LewRockwell.com today. And he covers a lot of different territory. I'm not going to be able to share the whole thing. However, lucky for you, I do have a link to it in the show notes. So if you want to check it out at your own leisure, it's going to take some time. This, this, would, uh, this would be a worthy read if you've got a whole lunch hour to sit down and, and read while you eat and just ponder what he's talking about. But he talks about tools of the warrior. And when he talks about a warrior, he's not talking about, you know, the proud boy out there in the streets, you know, punching somebody out because they disagreed or wanted to fight with them. We're talking about someone who, by the way they live their life, is an active force in moving the cause of freedom. Just by, how, just by the kind of person that you are, by your character. I think that's the thing that people don't understand. That's, that's probably the biggest disconnect that I'm encountering right now is when it comes to being free, more than just political control or political power, there is a requirement of character. People who do not qualify for freedom will never have it. They can't. Their their own lack of character will always leave them in some kind of bondage, usually self-imposed. We'll go down that road another time, but I want to start with Alan's uh, article here. He says, my fellow warrior, you may be afraid, you may be uncertain, you may not know where to begin. He says, if that describes you, I've written at length about where to begin. And by the way, this is one of his, his key points is he says, never wear the face mask again. Now, he goes on from here. And again, this applies to more than just, you know, push back on lockdown stuff. He says, demand more from your life. Set a higher standard. And if you do not set that high standard, you will have a low standard and the inevitable outcome of such standards. If you do not set standards for you and your own, you will not achieve your dreams, but will instead achieve someone else's. So he's going to cover a bunch of things here. Now, a lot of this will center around lockdown, but I want you to, to... Consider this in the bigger picture, more than just, you know, the lockdown stuff and mandatory masking and all the bossy people out there yelling at one another because they're not wearing it correctly. So he starts with how to end the lockdown in your own life. And I think he's talking about something broader than just simply COVID here. He has a link to a number of articles that can help set that standard, a link to a book that can help you get there, starting with never wearing a mask again. But he says it all comes down to making a high standards decision and making that decision a necessity that you refuse to live without. So if you can figure out how to never wear a face mask again, you can figure out how to say no to the vaccine, how to reopen your business, how to end the lockdowns in your own life, and lots of other bold and awe-inspiring behavior. But he warns that's not enough. A lot of territory has been lost in 2020 and needs to be regained and far exceeded. He says we need to push into the breach and win greater victories for freedom. If you are at a loss for the next step from there, take one phrase out into the world with you. The phrase is, how did you arrive at that conclusion? Now, Alan Stevo says it's a phrase for learning from others who know what they're talking about. And it's also a useful phrase for encouraging, influencing, and winning, for it is so effective at identifying and overcoming mindlessness in the world around you. If the person trying to communicate with you has thought through what they need to say and why they need to say it, that's fantastic. Do you see what he's getting at? He he says he's a firm believer in the Hinlinky rule. I had never heard of this before, but I think it it really makes sense. This is the Hinlinky rule. You shall not criticize the position of another until you can state that position with such accuracy, completeness, and sympathy that the opponent himself declares yes, I could not have said it better myself. Then and only then may you criticize, for then you are engaging a real alternative and advancing a real argument. Otherwise, you shed only heat, not light. And Alan Stevo says, yeah, I love to learn from others. Now he says, nodding and approving during that process of learning, though, isn't acceptable unless you actually approve. It's both okay and good of you to be brutally honest, direct, and intellectually rigorous with a well-studied peer, inferior or superior. Your challenging questions are needed for someone who knows what they're talking about. If they know what they're saying and they've studied on the topic, they're ready to be hit over the head with the mallet of your intellectual curiosity. And they may just have the helmet of knowledge to protect themselves. Done right, both of you are better off for such a conversation but his point here is that relatively few people actually know what they're talking about. Those who don't know really could use the benefit of your question. How did you arrive at that conclusion? And he says the more worked up they are, the less likely they are to know what they're talking about. And the more they could benefit from being asked that question by you. All around you could really use the benefit of the question. How did you arrive at that conclusion? The whole world could benefit from your question how did you arrive at that conclusion All right, I gotta pause here because we're coming up on our break but does that not seem like pretty good advice you notice he's not just throwing out a gotcha this is not one of those aha rhetorical traps that's gonna you know confound them and leave them stumbling and mumbling and and angry that you got the better of them it's sincerely trying to find out where they're coming from yeah what a concept rather than just beating him into submission at the first indication that, hey, we may not see eye to eye. All right, we'll be back in just a few moments. Please stay with us.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: All right, welcome back to the show. I'm sharing with you an article by Alan Stevo. It's the tool of the warrior. How did you arrive at that conclusion? He's actually sharing a lot of really good advice here. But I just know there are a lot of people asking, what can I do? What can I do? And and if you take away nothing else from this, the idea is be a leader. Become a leader rather than a follower. And one of the favorite tools that he has for for really getting out there and learning, you know, from another person, not just arguing with them, but actually learning from them, is to ask the question, how did you arrive at that conclusion? And really listen, be able to restate it to him so well that they would say, yes, yes, you are hearing me correctly. He says, after you get a response, how useful is it to be ready with an honest follow-up? Now, if you're at a loss... A pretty useful tool at a moment where you refuse to give tacit approval is to look the other person square in the eyes with an honestly, compassionately, and calmly delivered, I don't find your argument very convincing. He says, two generations ago, society was more edifying. Today, almost all adults are derelict in this role. Two generations ago, boys who could have been straight or who could have been gay were encouraged by society to be straight. Live the life of a family man because, among other reasons, by many measures, that would provide greater happiness. Today, society refuses to provide even that. Society instead goes so far as to encourage confusion about if they're even a boy. And he asks, do you participate in that creation of confusion? He says, I don't see how that uh, serves the interest of that child. Children need the guidance of adults who will lead the child fearlessly down an edifying path. But in order to do that, you've got to ignore whines, assaults, ad hominems, and don't let them distract your focus. For pointing out what he just said, he asks, am, am I anti-gay? Am I a homophobe? Hardly. But should that question even matter? Only in a frivolous and distracted age would such a thing be mentioned. These are mere ad hominems thrown to distract. The question of what I am has nothing to do with what's being said. The question of who or what anyone is is has nothing to do with the validity of any argument being made, such pejoratives are lobbed at people who have a line they will hold they're found to be shrugged they are to be shrugged off rather or seen as a note of accomplishment indicating that you've adeptly found the target and have hit at some hard, honest truth. This should not deter you from holding the line or pushing ahead into the breach, as more than one wise man has pointed out when you're confronted with those kind of distractions. Do not give in to evil, but proceed ever more boldly. Against it. Now, Alan Stevo says we have crossed a line that's bad for all. We've gone beyond this line in which society exists to edify the individual, and instead, corruption of the individual is a more likely role played by members of society. Drag time, drag queen story hour. Anyone? Just putting that out there. But he says, the line we've crossed as a society is bad for children, but it's bad for grown men, too. He says, I can count in the thousands the number of grown men I know who act like little boys. Straight, gay, whatever. They sabotage their own lives, their own potency, their own impact on the world in search of titillation. Now, he's talking about hedonism. And he says, hedonism demarcates that space and is a word that this new speaker wants you to never have access to the definition of. In fact, Alan Stevo says his favorite Greek philosopher says that all that is not related to the creation of children or the raising of children into adulthood is hedonism. And he says every day I find myself agreeing more and more with him about that specific definition. Some Greeks have a way of carrying a dictionary of human civilization in their heads in the form of their language and culture. So he says it's no surprise to us that so much of life stands on that ancient civilization. Words are messages to us from a wise past distilled over many generations of testing. And just as a quick aside, this is why we have to be willing to read old books. It's not just an exercise in hoity-toitiness. There is real wisdom. You will will find ideas and concepts that have stood the test of time. You'll also find a lot that didn't. But the key is knowing which ones can help bring wisdom into your own life. Alan Stevo says, just as our era wants us to define decadence as tasty, like a tasty piece of chocolate cake or a decadent piece of chocolate cake, he says, ignoring that definition of that which brings decay, our era would like us to define hedonism as merely that which feels good. He says, our era is prone to reactively ask, what's wrong with something that tastes good? Or what's wrong with something that feels good? Nothing if pursued in the right proportions and for the right reasons. Such sense appears lost in this moment. And this kind of stings, but he points out obesity is rampant, causing far more COVID deaths than lack of lockdowns, lack of face masks, lack of vaccines, or lack of social distancing combined. Yet obese officials hypocritically focus on face masks. Treats are eaten at all meals, between meals, and whenever an office mate, a third cousin, or the mailman has a birthday promotion or even a far more minor life event. Life is wonderful and celebration is grand and underrated, but our civilization is in such decay that comfort and gluttony and treats must forever surround us in total disregard of ancient wisdom on how such decadence brings decay to all areas of life. Now, if you're thinking this guy's a buzzkill, hang on. Let him continue making the point here. His point is that the world has gone astray, and there are always people who go astray. There's little wrong with some people going astray and doing their own thing. That's life. But there's everything wrong with the great mass of people going astray if the reason for that is, when looking around society for leadership, all they see along the lines of certainty are those who have gone astray. And he asks, do you hear me? The only people who are certain, the only people who are leading, the only people who exhibit the slightest indication of trustworthy leadership are the people who have gone astray in the most foul ways. They have little edification to provide to anyone. People who know better are needed to lead. And by the way, he says, some people do need leadership. You may call them sheep, I call them human. But we all need leadership once in a while. And then he asks a question that... uh, really kind of shakes a person if you stop and think about it. When was the last time you refused to lead? When was the last time someone lost came to you and instead of leading you called them a sheep? He says, be careful of this word and this thinking as the use of the word sheep to describe another is often an admission that the speaker refuses to shepherd one who wants to be led. If the ones who know better about the direction of society, such as the well-studied, wide, wise readers of these pages, refuse to lead, then he says inevitably some pretty bad dudes who have no business leading anyone, ever, for any reason, are the ones who get to step into the vacuum that you leave around you. And they don't just get to lead. Oh, they lead great swaths of the population, and in the most evil ways, down the most evil paths. He asked, is it the fault of a Pelosi, a Schumer, a Whitmer, a Newsom, a Como, a Pritzker, that there's a vacuum of leadership that any half-witted slob with a savvy campaign manager can step into? Enriching themselves to the tunes of, tune of hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of a career in, quote, public service, impoverishing their land and people. What else could you possibly expect of a half-witted slob when you step back and let them have the keys to the kingdom? He says, don't blame the half-witted slob for the destitute to, that destiny your children may now inherit from you and your generation. Experimental vaccines, indoctrination, debunked fluoride, uh, dehumanization, debunked face masks, debunked lockdowns, living life isolated, dying alone, without property, without a real job, chipped, and a slave. He says, don't blame the half-witted slob because so predictably, that's exactly the kind of thing a half-witted slob does when they are left in charge. He says, blame yourself. Blame the one who stepped back and refused to lead and let a half-witted slob have the keys to the kingdom. And not only do they have the keys to the kingdom, you've pretty much given them the keys to your own castle as well. Again, this is Alan Stevo. I will have a link to this in the show notes. This is a really great essay. It's worth reading, absorbing, assimilating into your own thinking and sharing with others.
0: This is the Brian Hyde show.
1: This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. I feel like I should be cutting a small royalties check to uh, Alan Stevo for doing my show prep for me today. This is such a remarkable essay. A tool of the warrior, how did you arrive at that conclusion? It's actually kind of a nice comprehensive list of tools that people who are willing to be leaders should be considering. And I hope you're one of those people. I think you are. I think the fact you're listening to this program indicates you're, you're not content with just being a follower. You're not just, please, someone tell me what to do, and I'll, and I'll do it. Now, one of the things that Alan Stevo warns about in this article is he talks about giving the keys of the kingdom to the half-witted slobs. I don't disagree, by the way, with this characterization of many of the people in the highest levels of leadership. I've, I don't know that I've ever seen a more corrupted, self-serving bunch in my life. Maybe history could show us a few, but you know, they're they're given some pretty Caligula is looking, looking from the great beyond, going, Wow, these guys are crass. <laughs> they are really self-serving. Nonetheless, Alan Stevell warns that you have also given them the keys to your own castle. Now, if you don't believe that, he says, Read the history of no knock warrants. Search the name Duncan Lemp. And he says, tell me if you really think the world is going to stop what it's doing and ride to the rescue because a few cops brought an end to your world. But he says, that's the reality you helped build for yourself by refusing to lead. Every man's and every woman's castle is a Waco waiting to happen. You put the keys to your castle in the wrong hands and once they who wish to do you harm are standing in your living room, it's too late. He says, you need to build yourself a Nirmalian buffer. He's talking about Reverend near near Muller, Remember, first they came for the Jews, but I, didn't want, I wasn't a Jew, so I didn't speak out. And eventually there was no one to speak out for me. He's saying, set the boundaries wide. Protect someone else. Fight for your liberties on a front far away from your living room. Now, he does say, unfortunately, there is a war, and the front is already on your face, in your mind, and in your home. Your guarantee of survival depends on you advancing the front far from where it is and into the enemy's mind, the enemy's face, the enemy's living room, that this precious terrain of you and yours may last many more generations untouched. Now he says some people preach the gospel of giving up, and I kind of feel like he might be pointing at me because I've been guilty of saying this voting is violence. <laughs> He says that adage can so easily be applied as loser talk. The idea that the two-party system is broken can so easily be applied as loser talk. They can be applied as reason for inaction and reasons for not leading. To do otherwise than lead, he says, though, makes you the ignoble subject of Thomas Paine's who begs for peace in his day, preferring to let the burden of writing society fall upon his child while he enjoys his years in comfort. Alan Stevo says there's a good reason to call voting violence. There's no good reason to then drop out of the system, pretending like that system won't catch up with you. Dedicate your life to changing that. He says there's good reason to call the two-party system broken, but do something about it. The most evil voices on this planet would like libertarians and conservatives to give up and feel convinced that they have no option other than to give up. Now, I have to point out that politics is one facet of a multifaceted existence. And I still maintain that things that we can do that allow us to spread that moral energy that we bring to every day over other portions of our life besides politics will have very beneficial uh, results. Hello. But, just so I don't sound like too much of a hypocrite, yes, I do participate in the political process, at least to the extent that I can exert some kind of a positive influence. Do you know where I end up doing that mostly? Mostly in my neighborhood caucus. I could do more. There, there are organizations out there that will teach you how to do more. Uh, my friend Connor Boyack at Libertas Institute has a, a legislative boot camp every year for citizens who want to know how to be a good citizen lobbyist, how to use their influence to help shape what is happening on Capitol Hill in our, state, in our home state of Utah whenever the legislature meets. So I reluctantly have to say, no, don't give up. But also understand, don't don't make it all or the sum total of what you're doing. People who are politically possessed, and that's all they do and see and think and breathe, tend to become really unpleasant people. Yoda would probably have some fancy way of saying this, but there's got to be some balance in the force. (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist. So here are the things that won't save you. According to Alan Stevo, moving won't save you. Going to another place won't save you. He says, accepting that there's no one left to lead but you, that we live in a time of very heavy government, that someone is going to lead that government, that sitting at home, reading some books, owning a few guns and doing some prepping, probably isn't enough to protect your castle. Accepting that, he says, has a chance of saving you. You can move, but if you aren't dedicated to leading better than every half-witted slob who seeks to step into any leadership vacuum then nothing will change. Moving will just help you buy another five or ten years before that place, too, turns to rubbish like the place you helped turn to rubbish by refusing to lead. Some people move perpetually, investing next to nothing in the land they temporarily inhabit. Dare I say that the hedonism of doing that makes one a leech on par with the half-witted slob? The half-witted slob leeches off the people alive, giving little back. Many who perpetually move leech off the inheritance of liberty and culture handed to them, giving little back. So here's what the half-witted slobs need you to believe. They need you to believe that you are not a leader, that you are not the solution, that you are not everything your tribe, your community, the world as you know it needs right now. Because the only thing stopping a half-witted slob from being a multi-millionaire many times over is your realization that it's up to you to step into the breach and lead whatever the sacrifice to yourself. Without a vast population of discouraged, decent people, there is no way a half-witted slob like Joe Biden becomes a global power broker. It starts with face masks. It continues with, how did you come to that conclusion? But it certainly doesn't stop there. He says, whatever excuses you may have thought you had in the past, isn't it nice to know that you can see yourself as a leader right now? A leader who owns situations. Rises to the occasion, even catastrophic situations. A leader who acts. What a wonderful, challenging, and fulfilling use of all of your abilities that surely is. And sometimes leaders even do drastic things that lots of people don't like. Now he does point out here, the protests mean so little. The little whines, protestations, and moans from others mean nothing. Calling leaders' names means so little. Incoming ad hominems can be seen as a victory over the mindless, not as a harmful projectile. These are all automatic responses to something new or different. He says such reflexive whines are not to be regarded as thoughtful and hardly deserve to be thought about. Don't ask for permission. Just act. Just do it. Step into every situation and lead. Walk through life leading. He says, there is literally no one else but you. And things will get much worse if you won't step up and live life as a leader. Let him drive that home again here. Alan Stevo says, there is literally no one else but you. And if you refuse to accept that, you and your children will instead be led by the half-witted slobs and the most evil people. And it will be no one's fault but your own. Whatever protestations you have to that, he says, I'll probably respond with, how did you arrive at that conclusion? And in response to whatever you say next, I'll probably find myself saying, I don't find your argument very convincing. He says, there's nothing convincing a grown adult can say to me about why he should not go through life leading. So quit making excuses. Everyone needs you to step up and lead. It may already be too late. But he says, who's with me? I really love this approach. I mean, you know, for some it might feel like, hey, he's kicking me right in the seat of my pants. Yeah, he is. I feel it too. There, there's a footprint right there on my rear end, but sometimes we need that. I think above all, look, you, you don't have to aspire to be, you know, the next president or the next senator or whatever. We, we think of leadership too often in terms of merely political leadership. Think of all the different institutions that make up a healthy society besides the state. You have family. Families benefit from good leadership. You have community. Community benefits from good leadership. Business? Absolutely. Academia? Of course. Clergy? Yes. Absolutely. Media? Without a doubt. Did I leave anything out? I think I got them all there. In all of those different areas, I bet you have some degree of influence. But if you doubt yourself, uh, I, just, I just don't think I have anything worthwhile. You know, it's time to shed those doubts and, and start stepping forward. I talk a lot about having that sense of personal mission. In fact, when we come back, I'm going to share with you a, a, a letter that I wrote to my uh, newborn granddaughter. She just celebrated her first birthday, and uh, this popped up in my Facebook memories. And it's a good thing. I'm, look, there's a lot of cussing about Facebook, but I am grateful for those Facebook memories because I find stuff that I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally had forgotten about that. It gets buried under an avalanche of things I'm taking care of. I'm going to share that with you when we come back and talk about some of the things that uh, we could focus on that make us leaders.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This
1: is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. Again, I invite you to visit my website, thebrianhydeshow.com. I'll never pretend that I have all the answers, but I really have some great resources that I like to visit on a regular basis, not because I feel like they have all the answers, but I feel like they're making a very honest effort to make sense of the world around us. There is a, a section on my Website called Resources for Wrong Thinkers, and it's it's a collection of different websites, news aggregators, and and different uh, sites that I have subscribed to. So I don't even have to necessarily even go to the website every day. I just subscribe, and they send me an email with uh, I don't know sometimes five, ten, sometimes a dozen different stories about things that are going on. And if there's something they have in common, yeah, you know they're they're obviously they 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 have a message of freedom with which i resonate but there's a credibility there as well and i think credibility is at extremely short supply right now in this world um this this is one of the reasons why uh, i i do my best to steer away from from the conspiracy talk there's there's a degree of truth to just about any conspiracy theory that you find out there unfortunately The more time you spend trying to unravel this conspiracy or that conspiracy, the more time you're wasting. And there's a lot of dead ends. And unfortunately, a lot of people jump down the rabbit hole and think that, uh, you know, they're going to, I'm going to find out once and for all what's behind this. And you just find more threads to pull on. Trust me when I tell you that there's enough going on right out in the open. You don't have to look in the shadows, you don't have to look beneath the bushes or overturn rocks to find some really crazy, nefarious stuff taking place. The bigger question is, what are you going to do about it? By the way, there's an article that I'm linking. I'm not going to share this one on the, on this hour of the broadcast, but this is an article from Robert Weisberg, Resisting Totalitarian Impulses in an Individualist World. Now, that sounds very intellectual and uh, loquacious. I want you to take a look at it, though. Go to the show notes and click on it he makes a very strong case for respecting mother nature, respecting natural law and human nature and says, Friends of Liberty have to recognize that ignoring the limits of people's ability to change invites the government to engage in totalitarian measures. Right now, we have a hard, hard swing towards totalitarianism. And by the way, it's, it's not for the purpose, at least those who are pushing hardest for it, they're not doing it for the purpose of, well, we're trying to make everybody miserable. They have a utopian vision, but it rests on transforming everybody to fit their mold and what they think is, is utopia. And they're doing it through government force. And Robert Weisberg says, utopian visions resting on human transportation invariably come to bad ends. And this sorrowful conclusion hardly requires recourse to genetics. So before any social engineer begins fixing a problem, he says he should obtain Mother Nature's certification that the tribulation is indeed remediable short of violating her biological dictates. You've got to read the whole article. If Mother Nature declines, as will often happen, the fixing enterprise should be stopped and civil society must endure, live and let live tolerance. Relentless pursuit of the unreachable fantasy is not a sign of virtue; it's a call for evermore liberty, killing coercion. That is playing out right before our eyes today. Don't mistake it for something else. All right, let me uh, let me shift gears here. So um, I cuss Facebook a lot. I don't uh, you know I don't like the censorship. I don't like the fact checking stuff that pops up. Uh, I, I have no great love, and yet I use Facebook on a daily basis. So far, knock on wood, they have not deemed me so dangerous and subversive that I too must be silenced and have my account suspended. Maybe that'll change here in the near future. But in my Facebook memories today, a letter to my newborn granddaughter popped up, and since she just celebrated her first birthday um, just uh, last week, I thought, i got to read this and just see. What did I say to her? Does it still ring true? And not only did it it still ring true to me, but I felt like there was some useful stuff here that I wanted to share with you, even though you're not a newborn and you're not my granddaughter. So take this in the spirit that it's intended. Dear Heidi Rose, as your dear old gray-bearded grandpa, I want to take this opportunity to welcome you into the world. You won't be reading these words for a few years, but I hope you'll revisit them throughout your life as a testament of my love for you and your mother and father. It's hard to believe that you're actually here. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was in Germany celebrating Christmas with your family. We knew your arrival was imminent, but unfortunately I had to return to the States before you were born. I can't wait until we finally get to meet in person this summer. By the way, that line really stung because COVID, you know, it has, it has taken the joy out of a lot of our lives. That was, one, that was one of the stings that I felt most keenly, not getting to meet her yet. Back to the letter. We may be 5,000 miles apart, but you have already impacted my life in ways that even I couldn't have anticipated. The rumors that I cannot so much as look at an image of you without smiling are true. It's wonderful to live in a time where technology has made it possible to instantly share your photo and even live video across great distances. It wasn't that long ago that the news of your birth would have taken weeks to reach me. Today, I had a photo of you and your mother within minutes of your birth. If anyone saw me dabbing at my eyes as I was sitting in the bank parking lot, I hope they understand that those were tears of joy and not just some random guy having a meltdown. It's a condition that's afflicted me with the birth of every one of my own kids, and now with both of my grandchildren. And as I've proudly shared your photo with friends and family around me, the most common observation I've heard from them is, she's perfect. I agree. And I don't mean perfect in the sense that you're somehow above the natural laws that govern life in this world. But you are a living example of the innocent perfection that each one of us brings into this world when we are born. It's something that we desperately need to be reminded of from time to time, lest we become overly jaded and cynical. When we've witnessed the good and bad that's part of human nature, it can become easy to focus upon the negative and to doubt the things that genuinely matter most. In your beautiful little face, however, there's no guile, no judgment, no sense of superiority. You love without condition and inspire love in others, not for what you can do for them, but simply by being. You are a reminder that each of us began this way, regardless of how we've come to see ourselves since. You are unsullied by labels, a volume of unfilled pages with endless possibilities as to how your particular story will be written. How I wish this condition could last for many more years than it will. Others will try to fill the pages of your life story for you that want to rewrite your script, or even worse, will hand you their own script for what your life should be. Be very cautious not to base your sense of who you are on their approval. If you wish to follow the direction that your heart leads you, you must learn early on to avoid the temptation to seek status. Status requires that you constantly compare yourself to others, either to affirm that you are better than them or to confirm that you're somehow less than them. This type of comparison is a sure recipe for unhappiness. Instead, find your self-worth in knowing who you are and what you stand for. Be known for building others rather than tearing them down. Like all of us, you'll experience times of happiness and joy and periods of sorrow and frustration. The circumstances into which you were born are fortunate and should be a lifelong source of gratitude once you're old enough to understand them. You've been blessed in more ways than you know. You bring with you unique, remarkable gifts that you'll have the opportunity to develop throughout your lifetime. This means that your life contains a purpose or a mission that is yours alone. Finding and developing these gifts will be a crucial part of the happiness and fulfillment you may find in life. And when you find yourself engaged in things that not only make you happy, but actively bless the lives of others, you will know with a surety that you're on the right path. You were born into a household with loving parents who adore you. Your life begins in a beautiful seaside city with a magnificent culture and many centuries of history. You have stability and good health, and above all, a family who would travel to the ends of the earth for you. Always remember that your family should be your greatest source of shelter and resilience throughout your life. With love, Grandpa. Well, now Heidi Rose is a little one-year-old girl. So far, the uh, the only uh, contact that we have with her is through, uh, you know, uh, what is it? I want to say face, uh, FaceTime. But she recognizes us. She talks with us. I should say she babbles with us. <laughs> She's still working on getting those words down. But uh, what I say to her... I say to you, your life contains a purpose or a mission that's yours alone. And I think a lot of people right now are realizing that uh, the tough times that we are currently facing are a springboard to getting started on that mission. Don't shy away from it. It's yours for a reason. God trusts you. Go for it.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.